Hi, this is Cassandra Lee Morris, and you're listening to the Annie Monday Podcast. Please enjoy your weekly dose of random anime. Welcome to the Annie Monday Podcast. My name is Colin Hemphill. And I'm Kayla Hemphill. On our show, we roll the virtual dice each week and must watch a randomly selected anime title. We have returned once again. Yes, we have. <laughs> Last time we hit the random button on Crunchyroll and we were compelled to watch a show called Big Order. Big Order was originally a manga series from 2011 to 2016. There was an OVA episode in 2015 and then finally, the 10-episode anime series that we watched in 2016. And we watched the first four episodes of that anime series. Kayla, would you like to give us a synopsis? Ten years ago, the world was shaken when the wish of a child named Aiji caused mass destruction. For the last decade, Aiji has managed to keep his mistake a secret, but now with his identity revealed, Aiji is forced to unleash his power as an order. Aiji's desires will either lead to peace in the world or to more untold destruction. Well, there are quite a few characters in this show. Um, part of what we end up seeing in these first few episodes is that Aiji and his partner that we'll talk about in a second encounter this weird group of people. Yeah, I think they're called like the Dezaifu group. And they're essentially like a weird covert military organization. Group of ten. The group of ten, for short, I guess. We don't really know much about them. They're kind of disposable at this point. We don't really have any investment in them or know much about them. So I think there's really just like two or three characters we can really kind of focus on. Uh, obviously, Aiji is our main character. And you use the term order, which is basically a superhuman of some sort. At some traumatic moment in a person's life, they have the ability to request a wish, and their wish will come true in some way, but the rules on how it comes true seem pretty extreme. Yeah, and sort of like in stories with genies, there's kind of a double-handedness to it, um, especially in Aiji's case, because his wish seems to be one of the few that was not granted out of trauma. Like, he was just approached as a child and given his wish. And in his case, whatever his wish was, it ended up wiping out half the population of the world and causing causing all sorts of untold destruction. And as a result of this incident, uh, he has amnesia. Sort of. <laughs> it doesn't really seem to make sense. No, and we come to the story 10 years later, like you said, and it almost seems like none of that 10 years mattered. Nobody did anything during that 10 years of time. Except for this group assembling itself. And waiting for the perfect moment to mm -hmm. swoop in. Mm -hmm. But in the very beginning of the show... We have Aiji basically just now coming to terms with what he did 10 years ago 
and even talking about it for the first time, it seems like he doesn't even interact with the idea up until this point. Yeah, something that we see is that anyone who has had their wish granted pretty much uses their powers frequently, and IG never used his powers uh, past the the Great Destruction is what they called it. And as far as his powers actually go, he kind of uncovers in the first two episodes that his wish must have been that he wished for world domination. And so his power is kind of in line with that. He is able to establish some sort of boundaries that are under his domain. And within his domain, he's able to control anything, whether it's a person or an object or anything. Yeah, at one point he even emphasizes that physics don't matter in his domain. So he's able to stop bullets or things like that. Even like manipulating the air. Mm -hmm. And even from this little bit of information, it is confounding what this guy is all about. (laughs) Because he says weird things like his entire inspiration and the reason for his wish and why he wants to world dominate is because his role model was some supervillain in some cartoon series. Mm-hmm. Which I think kind of sets him apart from what seems like so many other of the orders is that he was just some kid. It seems like he was five or six at the time because he's still in high school when it's 10 years later. And some fairy just grants him the ability to dominate the world. Yeah, so speaking of that, let's talk a little bit about Daisy. When Aiji returns home from school in one of the very first scenes, we meet Daisy, who is what he calls a fairy, and is essentially the catalyst for the wish-granting and Aiji's ultimate hand in the destruction of the world 10 years previous. And it seems all she really contributes to the show is that she wants him to use his stuff, and then she kind of disappears. Yeah, she comes in and just drops information when necessary. She also can just come and change the rules at any point, which seems strange. Um, It's also unclear if she is the only fairy or if there's like multiple fairies that are also granting wishes um she has continued to grant wishes in the last 10 years um it's unclear if Aiji was the first or if he's just one of we don't know if there's tens or hundreds or thousands of these people who have had their wishes granted and not only is there a lack of clarity on those things but she seems to be a completely unimportant character. Aside from the fact that she kickstarted this whole thing, now she just kind of hangs out. Yeah, she's what I would say is like a true neutral character. She doesn't really care what's going on. Um, she doesn't really have an agenda as far as we can tell. She just says like, that's what I do. I grant wishes. She doesn't really seem to care if the wishes cause harm or if they're helpful or, you know, whatever. I think even calling her a neutral character is generous. 
I would consider this a non-character. <laughs> it is a plot device. Mm. And I think that's all she does. Mm -hmm. And she has no reason to be a character or to have a design or to hang out with IEG <laughs> or to be present whatsoever. She just seems like a convenient option for this is why people have powers and why this wish got granted. And then she leaves the scene and we never have to care about her again. Yeah, it's unclear if they're having her there to introduce something, like to show her motivations later, or if she's, like you said, just a, a plot device. Because she does come back in to change the rules of the world as we understand them. Yes. Again, plot device. <laughs> Anytime the director, the author, whoever is making these calls seems to just want to change their mind or ran out of ideas with what they were currently doing and wanted to try something different, throw in the plot device, change the rules, and do more boring stuff with those <laughs> rules for a while. Sorry, I'm showing my hand a little bit early. <laughs> Speaking of uh, more essentially non-important characters, Aiji has a sister named Sina who... Stepsister. Yes. Important. Yes, it Important is. for later. Uh-huh. Um, who's sick, not because of IEG, because we do see flashbacks to when they met and she was already, like, in a wheelchair. Um, but her role seems to be... To make IEG angry at everything. Yeah. Yeah, the threat of her demise is the driving force for IEG. So if she's sick or if she's taken or whatever, then he gets upset and shows his hand. But then, like two episodes in, she's immediately removed. She's put in this kind of... Cryostasis sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, another plot device. Um, because, like, they try to claim that Senna is... Aiji's entire motivation for why he wants to take over the world, and he has no way of doing that mm -hmm. until this group of 10 shows up and are like, we can put her in stasis, and then when you take over the world, we can wait until she can be fixed. Mm -hmm. Which, there's so much bad logic in that entire, the entire way that that story unfolds. But it's almost like every character that's introduced and every plot device that comes up is just in service of building on top of another plot device or another character. And then immediately pushed into the background. Yes. To be brought out whenever necessary. Mm-hmm. Yep. A thing that's important to recognize about this character is the weird one-sided relationship they seem to have. Uh-huh. Which is Senna seems... To be in love with her brother, but it's okay because step brother, step siblings, important, <laughs> yeah, because it's anime. <laughs> it it's hard to say if she has a sibling affection. You know, she does call him brother. She will like think back to when they first got introduced and be like, "I've always wanted a brother, and I'm so excited to have a brother." But their affection, or her affection towards him, seems to be a little heavy-handed for just siblings. 
Uh, and this is not reciprocated by IEG. No, and yet his entire motivation is still supposedly about her. Mm-hmm. It's just weirder now because of the way that they've presented their strange relationship. Yeah. Uh, the one last character that's kind of worth talking about is Rin, who uh, shows up at the beginning of the show as a transfer student in IEG's class. And what we come to find out is that her parents died as a result of the destruction 10 years ago. And when she finds out that Aiji is the one responsible, goes crazy mm-hmm. and tries to murder him. Mm-hmm. And so when she has the opportunity to do so, he uses his powers against her and ends up being able to run away and she gets killed. But this is when you find out that her power is healing. Mm-hmm. And for all intents and purposes, actually is immortality. Which that's not clearly defined because she still ages. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So she can heal herself or others. Or plants. Or anything. <laughs> yeah, she can mend things. And this is a concept that is heavily abused in the first couple of episodes and then also thrown away. Yeah, her presence, I think they quickly realized, takes away any of the tension because if she can pretty much heal anyone, then it doesn't then their wounds don't matter. And her life, you know, that that tension you might feel of, will she make it? Will she survive? That's immediately taken out because yes, of course she will. Yeah, and all they really do with it is that they turn it into a comedy bit mm-hmm. where she falls off of stuff or she gets smashed by stuff or she gets shot. And there's this like big puff of smoke and some light, a light flash. And then she comes back to life and she's fine. And because of IEG's power, he's dominated her in a way that like forces her to be next to him so he has a built-in automatic healer yeah and obviously she won't murder him anymore because he's in control well she keeps trying to but she is incapable of doing so so i do want to talk about the mechanics of her revival thing in addition to making her incredibly overpowered and like pointless because she can just fix everything I'm a little concerned about how this whole thing works because in the very first time that we see her use it, she gets stabbed by IEG and then IEG realizes, oh crap, she's dead. (laughs) And he runs out of the apartment and in all other cases that we see her die, she immediately revives. Mm -hmm. So either one of two things is happening. They either just got it wrong the first time or she maintains some sort of consciousness (laughs) after her body has been completely destroyed and is able to decide when she wants to reactivate. I would argue for the second one because there's another instance in which she does the exact same thing where he's trying to uh, have this like negotiation thing with the prime minister because this show turns really political really fast, FYI. And he shoots her knowing that she's going to 
like revive herself. And he still finishes a conversation before she comes back. So worst power actually is <laughs> Rin's. Because that sounds awful. One thing I did think was interesting about this character. Um, so in the moment that she gets her wish granted, she is witnessing her parents pass away in a fire. Like they get trapped, I guess, in their like house. Um, and she also gets trapped and she ends up getting her wish granted in the moments that she's dying. Um, and she has turned all of this anger towards Aiji um, and blaming him for her parents' death. And in some ways it makes me think like she's probably just trying to appease her own guilt because one, like not understanding her own powers and um, we have seen her heal other people so we know that she is capable of healing other people because her parents pass away. She's just decided like, I'm going to murder this person. And so I could see that there, hopefully... There could be a lot of character growth with this person, which is something I would hope for. We have not approached that yet. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't give my hopes up. (laughs) Uh, I would like to knock through just a few kind of general quick thoughts I had on the story beats and some of like the the pacing and other just kind of story issues I had with this show. Mm -hmm. Uh, First of all, the very first thing that happens in this show is an anime trope called lecture as exposition, (laughs) which is essentially that there is a teacher standing in a classroom explaining the plot of the show Mm -hmm. as if the students needed to learn this. Right. He is talking about a catastrophic event that happened 10 years ago that wiped out half of the population, and all of these students would have been alive and witness to this event. Yes, but they would have been young. <laughs> there is there is zero, zero way that these students need to learn this. And so the fact that this is just context for the viewer as a like lazy storytelling method was a really, really bad first impression for me. Okay. Uh, one notable example of this trope is Evangelion. Mm-hmm. But in that case, the teacher is telling the false version of the story that is like the government Mm cover-up. And so he's giving the viewer wrong information. It is a little weird that in in this first scene, it's not even that he's just teaching the kids like a history lesson of like, hey, this thing happened. It's important that you understand that it happened. But he is actually teaching his own theory which is something he says he's like well this is just what i think so this is purely speculation it's like what yeah don't conjecture (laughs) on a history lesson i think this first episode is really out of place with the following three that we watched throughout the first episode something that we're encountering a lot is this idea that ieg doesn't understand what his power is that he believes his power is destruction and Daisy is hinting that it's not. And so there's sort of this idea that if Aiji could remember what his wish really was, that there might be something redeeming about it. And the thing that's kind of frustrating is that this is immediately resolved in the first episode. And so 
you're kind of building up this sort of mystery of like, well, what is his power? What is this thing? If only he could remember. And then it's a, it's immediately like, oh, he remembers. Here it is. Now he's going to use his power, even though he hasn't been using it for he's been deathly afraid to use it for 10 years. Yeah. And this is kind of what I was saying earlier and is my general frustration with the show is that every single thing I've seen is disposable <laughs> and none of it actually matters. The fact that there was this catastrophic event 10 years ago, disposable, because it's as if the characters are just now thinking about it. When Aiji has that conversation with his fairy, it's like the idea has never come up before mm -hmm. in 10 years. Or when students are learning about it for the first time in 10 years. Or when Rin suddenly decides to go psycho murderer after waiting for 10 years. And so the idea that there was a 10-year gap is completely irrelevant to the story. And like you said, it keeps building up these plot points and then tearing them down because they either resolve immediately or you find out it just didn't matter at all. I think for me, this first episode felt more like a prologue. And then the story really moves into motion starting from episode two. Because a lot of the things that they established in episode one are, like you said, either thrown away or just completely disregarded. And episode two seems to be the start, seems to be really the catalyst for what the subsequent episodes are really about, which ends up being highly political. That we went from this sort of like self-discovery kind of idea to this political war-minded world domination sort of plot. Yeah, and going from this like supernatural superpower kind of thing immediately to a boring war council <laughs> as soon as he meets this like group of 10 uh, was such a pacing shift and Everything after that was so incredibly boring to me. <laughs> yeah, I remember when we were watching, I think it was between episode three and four, uh, Aiji gets sent on a mission, and his mission is like the plot point for episode three and four. And at some place, I got lost and confused of like, wait, what was his mission again? Because it, I think it's changed like three or four times now, like in the middle of the mission. And so there's there's a lot of weird shifts that it tries to do to what it's trying to do is keep you on your toes. But what it ends up doing is just confusing you. Actually, it's all just nonsense. <laughs> yeah. And just on top of the poor pacing and the weird tonal shifts and the real lack of character motivations in any shape or form. And it just piles on the tropes, too. There's the whole, we're using kids because they're just better at it, I guess, kind of thing. There is the main character has amnesia. There is the hero of justice trope. And there's a weird sibling relationship thing. And I, man, I was having a really hard time being remotely invested in these characters or what they were doing. Yeah, I, th I think for me it's, hoping that we'll go back to what we saw in the first episode because I really I liked what it was trying to set up in the first episode and 
I'm wanting to believe that there was purpose behind that because I really liked the setup for it and I liked what they were doing. And then to see this kind of sharp turn, I'm less invested in where that's going. And so, like I said, I'm I'm hoping that we'll circle back around because there are things about his powers that he still doesn't understand and they've been limited by Daisy, she put like a blocker on him or something. That's unclear. But then why was his initial wish so powerful that it blew up half the world? Because well, he was a kid and he didn't know how to use it. Oh, <laughs> no. We'll be right back after this short break. Colin, would you like to kick off our conversation about the production of the show? Sure thing. Uh, The first thing I wanted to note that I didn't really bring up in the background history of Big Order is that the author of the original manga for this is Sakai Esano, who is the same guy who who wrote a, a manga called Future Diary, which was adapted into an anime series as well. And generally that show was pretty well-received, and people liked it. I think it had some issues, but I also enjoyed it. And what I immediately noted about Big Order, which came, I think, a few years later, is that these character designs pretty much look like they're lifted straight from Future Diary. Uh, Rin being kind of the notable example, because... One of the noteworthy things about Future Diary is that it has one of the most, like, highest examples of a Yandere character uh, ever, which is Yuno Gasai. And Rin pretty much just looks like Yuno, except maybe, like, a little more military. Because, like, she has her hair tied back a little bit differently and is wearing some sort of uniform. And they both have pink hair. Yep, sim- very similar hair, and even, like, the first time you see Rin turn, like, murdery is very, very Yuno. So my very early impressions of this show were, is he just going to do Future Diary again? And in some cases, yes. I think the character character designs and some of the animation styles and and even some of the characters themselves are kind of very similar. Something that I noticed about the reoccurring characters is that the main character has a trope that I think we see a lot, which is everyone around the main character is pretty distinct and interesting looking. So everyone in the group of 10 has a pretty distinct look. Like some of them are not even human looking, um, but the main character looks like your regular high school kid. He has dark hair and dark eyes, and there's really nothing distinguishable about him at all. And I think what kind of bums me out is that there's nothing that changes about him either with his power. 
something that all the characters have who have had their wish granted is they have what they actually call the orders. It's these personas. Yeah. But <laughs> they all kind of look the same. We've seen we've seen a few of them that look a little bit different, but Rin and IEG's orders look almost identical. They're both these kind of bandaged, skeleton-looking things. It felt like they didn't have a super great idea to distinguish them, and that kind of bummed me out. I mean, yeah, it, it definitely just felt like they were summoning personas, but without any of the, like, cool charm and interesting designs and, like, fanciful kind of, you know, weird demon creatures, it's just kind of like this one generic thing. And the only people who have orders that look different are the ones that we rarely get to see. So they'll have it for like one sequence. Um, There's this one guy who can stop time. And when you see his order, it's this kind of um, alarm clock looking thing. But that's the only time we really get to encounter him in his order. And so it's, it's kind of a bummer that the most interesting looking orders are the most rarely seen. In addition to the character design kind of stuff, I found the animation quality itself fairly decent. Uh, It actually does kind of look similar to to Future Diary. I didn't actually look if it's the same studio, but I would imagine he worked with a lot of the same people for this one. But that said, one thing I noted about this show is that the second it turns into the political war council kind of thing, the action gets really boring. Um... (laughs) There is kind of one big fight scene, I would say, within the four episodes we watched. And a lot of it is still just people kind of sitting around and thinking about what to do. And then sometimes there was a big rock monster. (laughs) Yeah, even when there's these nuclear missiles that are headed towards them, there is a lot of dialogue going on. Yeah, and the solution to the nuclear missiles is... Just kind of hold them up <laughs> and keep them from hitting us. Mm-hmm. Which is not how those work. Uh-huh. One thing that I did really like uh, was Rin's character animation, um, specifically when she dies and comes back. I just really liked her character in general because they carried over the moment of her wish into... When she activates her her order. Um, so when she gets her wish granted, she's trapped in a fire. And her regeneration takes the form of fire. And I was really hoping that was going to be a theme with all of the different orders. Um, that they would resemble that moment of their wish. And they didn't. But I really love her idea because it's, even when she's healing things, there's this scene where she's healing all of these flowers and she essentially is lighting them on fire. That's what it looks like as as they're healing. Um, and I just thought that was a really cool idea. And I feel like Rin actually was done really well. And maybe that's because she was lifted from a good character um, in his previous work. But I wish that had been carried through and if that meant having less characters like if there weren't 
10 of these people that were, you know, trying to take over the world, that they could have spent more individual time with each of their designs and how they're going to look and how they're going to feel, that it could have carried through that, you know, that you could have seen something in the time of their wish and that would have made sense. But I really liked her animation. Yeah. Uh, Last thing I'll mention about production is uh, the music, which I found equally baffling. (laughs) This show cannot decide what kind of music it wants to use to enhance scenes and to set the tone. And I think that contributes to how wildly the tone differs and how incoherent it feels. Um, Because none of the pieces of music themselves are bad or maybe even like out of place, but going from one scene to another when one scene is like a big rock orchestration, like what you would hear out of Kill a Kill or something, and then the next scene is like this funky pop thing that you might hear in Persona, Mm -hmm. and then there's like a weird big band swing thing, and all of those scenes kind of were the same. They're all like... We're in the war council room and we're talking about strategy, Mm -hmm. but all have completely, completely different scores to them. And then you throw on top of that the intro music for the opening uh, animation, which is like heavy metal. Mm -hmm. That incoherency across the music score um, felt really strange to me. I would even say that carries over with the outro as well, because the outro has a really different feel to it than the rest of the show. Uh, Starting in episode two, they actually add a reoccurring outro, and it has this really spooky feel to it. Even the animation, you're seeing this weird bandage cocoon thing with all these like medical supplies, mostly like IV drip kind of looking things draped across the scene. And it has these girls singing this sort of like, it reminds me of something you would hear out of like Resident Evil, something just really like horror-esque. It felt like I was just listening to somebody's like favorite hits, Spotify, um, as opposed to a score for a show. All right, Kayla, would you like to lead us into our discussion on general thoughts for the show? I've touched on this a little bit before, but the rules in this world are constantly changing. And I can't tell if it's done on purpose or not. Um, It feels very clumsy. There are times when AEG is presented as this sort of all-powerful kind of character, um, especially when you think of the mass world destruction that he caused with his initial wish. And then pretty immediately, Daisy puts this like blocker on him that's supposed to like help him actually access his powers so that he doesn't cause like another great destruction. And even with his powers, um, he has this like dominating thing. So he'll just create these commands, you know, on people. And um, Rin is one of the first people that he dominates. And he sets these parameters on these new things that 
she has to obey. And sometimes they seem to come into play and then other times not. So one of the things is like she can't leave his dominion. They don't really explain what that means because he just sort of pops it up and down randomly. And the only way that she can not follow his commands is if she finds a way to escape his dominion. And because she can't leave it, she's randomly allowed, like she can just pop into his space. But then other times she can just totally be really far away from him. And there seem to be multiple times in the show where they set up a rule with somebody's powers and then disregard the rule. So with uh, Cena's being in this like locked cryogenic state, it seems that the character that controls time is the one that locked her in there. And they say he can only control, he can only stop time for three things at any given time. Does that mean he wasted, has one permanently up for her that they don't explain it? This is what I was saying when when we took the sharp left turn with the second, third, and fourth episode, it seemed like they had to keep changing the rules to accommodate whatever political or warlike battle thing that they're going through. And there's not a lot of consistency. And so I don't know how seriously to take any of the rules. Like maybe it is just an ever-changing thing and the rules keep changing because of all these other orders. And that's just what happens when all these powers interact with each other. Or if it's this really clunky kind of we want you to believe this but we also need other things to work because we had this really great idea for this battle it's just hard for me to follow sometimes yeah and I think it's not so much that it's hard to follow I think that it is actually nonsense and none of it is actually going to line up and that the author doesn't really have any intentions with things that he sets up he just kind of sets them up and then does whatever he wants in the space and then moves on. And so I think that leads to a lot of inconsistencies, a lot of plot holes, a lot of unused plot devices or wasted opportunities, and a lot of really shallow characters. Um, I had mentioned before, like, the group of 10 is pretty much unnoteworthy. They're very forgettable, even though a lot of them have powers that could be interesting to play with, but we just don't see that utilized well. And I think unlike a show like My Hero Academia, where there are a lot of interesting powers and people with these powers, and the show does a good job of exploring the actual real-world consequences of that, this show just completely throws it away. Somebody can have the most ridiculous, incredible power in the world, and there's some easy way that it can be busted, or there is some weird, arbitrary limitation to it that makes sense in this one scene, or there's this incredible thing that it can do that helps in this other scene. And they don't seem to have any interest in actually designing a character who has a very specific thing that they do as a result of their wish and follows through with it. They just seem concerned about creating moments, inserting a character to do something in that moment, and then moving on. 
And so overall, I think the pacing is the pits, and the weird sibling incest thing is the pits, and there's random super sexualized characters that are also the pits. And overall, I was kind of not really into it. And I wonder how much of that is because I've seen Future Diary before, because it just feels like a much, much worse kind of exploration than what he did in his previous work. And there, the plots aren't even, like, really that similar, but it just feels like it does a lot of the same things, but infinitely worse. Dare I ask if you want to watch more of the show? I do not. <laughs> uh, my recommendation would be if you watch the first episode of this and that seems interesting, don't watch this. <laughs> Go watch Future Diary because that's not what this show is. <laughs> this is a weird like political military strategy drama <laughs> with a nonsense plot. I have not seen Future Diary, so I'm, I'm going to preface my answer with this, is that I have not seen Future Diary. So I am actually going to say yes. I will at least watch a couple more episodes to see if it turns back to more of what I saw in the first episode. And if it doesn't, then I'll just go watch Future Diary. I feel like there's a lot there that I can be interested in. There are clearly like things that are frustrating um, and I can't tell if it's the direction the show is going to keep going and I should just you know jump ship or if it's gonna revisit the themes that it set up in the beginning and so I would like to give it a couple more episodes and I'm just not gonna guarantee that I'll finish the show <laughs> I might just go switch over to future diary fair enough <laughs> All right, well, I think that does it for this week. If you want to learn more about our show, you can visit our website at anamonday.moe. That's anamonday.moe. And you can send us questions and comments to podcast at anamonday.moe. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our username is anamondaycast, and you can find links for that on our website. Thanks so much to Crunchyroll for providing all of the anime that you have and for the random button, which produces these wonderful and wonderfully terrible results. If you want to follow along with us each week, we'll have a link to the current title on our website and social media, and you can watch what we're watching. Finally, thanks to C2A for providing the intro and outro music for our show that come from the Senpai EPs available on Bandcamp and other places you stream music. And as a side note, we are trying to get back to our bi-weekly schedule. Mm -hmm. It's uh, been rough around the holidays and stuff, but uh, we are hoping to have our mm -hmm. Christmas special coming up. Yeah. And then get back on track uh, mm -hmm. starting in January. All right, Colin. Are you ready to roll? Let's do this. Random button in three, two, one. Oh, no. Oh, no. What? <laughs> oh, man. Our anime for this week is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Oh, interesting. Uh, and the first episode is called Dio the Invader. You know, I've had a lot of people Ooh. say that we should watch this. Well, so. sure. All right. <laughs> it will actually be the first time I've seen JoJo. Yeah, same. Yeah. Same. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. 
Well, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.